the film takes place ten years after the initial plague started, and and um, it basically was like a virus. It spread uh, very quickly, and there was a, a small population. Uh, it was five percent of the human population left, and everyone else became vampires. And and but rather than it being this kind of post-apocalyptic kind of wasteland, the vampires pretty quickly uh, adapted to their new world and and moved back into their homes and tried to go about their regular kind of lives. And then <clears throat> the big dilemma popped up, which was, well, what's going to happen when all the blood runs out and there's no human beings left? left? And, and so, um, yeah, and that's kind of where our film starts. Mm -hmm. When you were writing the script, were you thinking specifically about that design of creature or... Is that something that you worked on? Well, I, I, yeah. I mean, we do think. I guess we do think visually when we when we write a script. Uh, we just sort of thought, you know, like once you get once you get hu uh, human blood as a vampire, you you continue to look human. So it's just yellow eyes, and teeth, pale skin, that sort of thing. And then we just said, like, if you're deprived of human blood, or you start to feed on yourself, and it's sort of this incestuous disease that starts to happen, you start to turn more, more into a bat, and the more deprived you get, the more you turn into a bat. So it's just a process of us figuring out what stage, how far do they go, and like when do they start growing wings, and that, that sort of thing. But it's almost like a, a de-evolution type of thing that happens to them. <laughs> well, we, again, we're, we're big fans of um, practical makeup, you know, doing mm -hmm. it for real guy in suit, that sort of thing. And this, this film, we, we tried to do that as much as possible. I, I think we, we do have a few little digital add-ons to certain, some of our creatures, but all our vampires are, are guys in suits. And, and I think people who like us who grew up on, on 80s horror and 70s horror and that sort of thing really appreciate the old makeup mm -hmm. techniques. I still oh. think it's better than digital. Um, there's yeah. something more tactile and real about it. Um, yeah. yeah. It, doesn't, I mean, it doesn't look as fake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unless it was a styrofoam suit, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the eyes, was, was that CGI or were they using contact lenses for that? We had contact lenses. We, we, um, we were joking about this before. Um, the contact lens budget on Daybreakers was more than the budget of our entire first film. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> we, had, um, we had about 250 pairs of contact lenses for the film. Because, um, you know, we had scenes like a, a, a train station. And you know you've got Ethan Hawke at the train station, but then you've got all these vampires around him. So all those people had to be fitted for eyes and teeth, and and yet in order for us to create this world, everybody had to have these lenses and teeth. And so it just it was a massive ordeal just to get them to all look consistent. And there's a lot of detail from the buildings having slit windows or no windows, and the subwalk. If there were details that you wanted people to pay attention to that they might not catch when they're watching it, what would they be? Um. <clears throat> I'm trying to say. There's a lot of there's there's some signage that um, is in the background of certain uh, scenes. There's uh, the opening title sequence gives you a, a bit of an indication of how the world's kind of falling apart. Um, we had this whole story about, um, and we we touch on it briefly in the film. We had this whole story, and we actually it was in an earlier version of the script, but unfortunately, in order to condense this movie down, we had to take it out. Uh, when people started feeding on, people who lived out in, in the woods started feeding off the animals. And the animals turned into uh, vampires. And obviously, because the animals didn't know any better, during the day they'd walk out into the sunlight and they'd cause all these forest fires. Uh, and you, you actually see there's a shot where this car drives through this burnt yeah, out Yeah, I was forest. wondering about that's that. That's that whole backstory going on there where, where, where 
werewolves where they turn into vampires and, and there's also a bit of it because there's the um there's the there's a news story he, well, there's yeah. a news story on the tv when, he, right. when yeah. ethan comes home and yeah. he switches on the lights the first thing you hear is a news story on the tv to say about forest fires caused by uh by uh Creatures. Yeah, creatures yeah, walking. Yeah, I was distracted in that scene, so I didn't catch all of that. Yeah. And I know there's like the news well, that's, feeds going on. That's what we hope. That's what we hope. Like, yeah, people, people say that. People, yeah, exactly. And and I hope that people, because people go back and revisit this movie, and they see more and more things in there, because we really tried to layer it as thick as possible with, with, with detail. Um, yeah, but maybe who knows? We do a sequel. Maybe we get to explain that a bit more about what happened to all the animals. Casting was when you were writing. Well, obviously, Monka McKay was in it. <laughs> you remember Mungo McKay, that's funny. After pulling a shotgun out of his ass, and <laughs> how can you forget someone yeah. like that? Oh, Mungo, I have to tell him, he'll love that, he'll love that. <laughs> um, we, um, we were yeah, we wanted Mungo McKay and Willem Dafoe. <laughs> Which apparently, this is Willem Dafoe's film festival, he's had three films here. I think well, this, uh, year he's, this year he's in, in every film festival uh, known to man, I yeah. think. Apparently, I mean, people are calling it Dafoe Fest right now. <laughs> well, he's a great guy and a fantastic actor and a lot of people think he's kind of a creepy scary guy because he often plays those parts but Willem's actually such a nice guy guy to, to work with. We were lucky in the sense that when we wrote the script we, we first sent it to Ethan Hawke and, and he responded really well to the script and, and which was a huge surprise to us because we kept when we're writing the script we we're like gee we'd like an Ethan Hawke type for this film you know and, and we never thought we'd ever get him because Ethan's never done a horror film before but Ethan responded so well to the script and the ideas in the script. We went to New York, all three of us went to New York to meet him, and we, um, we sat down and we, we showed him all this uh, work that we'd done. Like We had uh, a lot of conceptual work. We did animated storyboards of most of the major action sequences. And we showed all this stuff to him, and he said, I'm in. You know? And to his credit, that's a rare thing, I think, because we'd only done Undead, and Undead isn't exactly an actor's piece yeah <laughs> Chris had done a Chris had done a film called the proposition yes um, and 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 we uh, and so we showed this stuff to Ethan and he said yes and uh, and to his credit he didn't know he had never been to Australia he, uh, he hadn't done a horror film before and he didn't know who else was going to be in the film at that stage and it takes a lot of guts for an actor to say yes to sort of young new filmmakers mm -hmm. yeah. um, and because because Ethan said yes it kind of legitimized the project and then we could go out and say, hey, we got Ethan. Maybe we can get Willem Dafoe. Maybe we can get Sam Neill. And we went out to them, and, we, and those guys said yes, too. What are your favorite scenes or scene from the movie? Um, I mean, obviously, you love the whole thing. It's your <laughs> movie. But. There's uh, sitting and watching an audience react to the operating scenes. A, a fun Ooh. experience. <laughs> and I won't give anything away, but it's... Um, I mean, I've seen it. It, gets, so. it definitely gets a reaction. Um, I, I'm really proud. I'm really proud of the the sequence where we see uh, the creature for the first time that comes into the kitchen because it's that's the sequence Michael and I uh, wrote and drew storyboards for for really early on and and it came out almost exactly the way we hoped it would and it's a combination of every technique we we know how to do and you know guy in a suit some CG some uh, old school rod puppet kind of stuff and blood tubes and the whole the whole deal and wire work it's got really everything so it was and it was really complicated and well just from the movement of the character from being on the floor to being on the ceiling mm. it was just it's all and it's all done in very small pieces you know every little piece and it's very hard to schedule something like that too it's very hard to 
to, to block something like that. It just takes a lot of time. I am um, my I'm I'm my favorite is the ending. I can't give it away, obviously, but I I think there's a twist at the end that I've never seen in this type of movie before. How this all all sort of accumulates into this one ending. I, I th I'm really proud. That was sort of the first idea we came up with was how this thing ends, and and I I don't think anybody's seen this type of a twist. I guess mm -hmm. at the end of end of a movie like this before. Um, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> it does set it up for what's going to happen now. It's yeah. Like yeah. Leave them wanting the ending is, is fantastic. Mm -hmm. As I said, you know, there's a lot to kill. <laughs> what was the hardest thing to capture? You know, I think the subsider was probably pretty difficult most because of the complexity. But the most difficult thing to capture, because um, uh, while this, while we had a sort of, I guess, a decent budget, it's not a huge budget movie by any means. And the hardest thing to capture when you make a film of this scale with this budget is the world. You know, like mm -hmm. it's so difficult. It's it's so easy to just say, okay, well, we'll just shoot it in a few rooms, and then it starts to feel very claustrophobic. We wanted to really show the world and show the state of the world and show how they've adapted to their new lives in this world. And that's the hardest thing to do is to go outside and give give the audience scale and 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 a really clearly defined environment. It's very difficult to do. Um, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think also anything that involves blood and makeup and and action is always so time consuming and so difficult to do. It's fun to watch. It's often not that much fun to make because you know you sit there like there's a scene where we, where the, all these vampires raid this blood stand, mm -hmm. you know, and they, they they tear the place apart and they get blood splattered all over them and they they're all grabbing bags of blood and trying to drink blood. And when you when you shoot the shot and they've got to tear the bag apart and you're hoping that the blood will splatter just right and you do one take and you're like, ah, oh, shit, it didn't work and you're looking at your clock going, we, we can reset it one, because it, it takes half an hour clean to reset time. yeah, you get the clean up time, you sit there and go, please work second time, please work and thankfully it did, it worked perfectly it worked brilliantly. but if it didn't work the second time, I don't know what we would have done we would have had to have moved on it's those things that, that become really tense and difficult to do great to watch when you, when you get it right, mm -hmm. but to shoot them you just fingers crossed, because there's no way, to, is, is this going to work? Well, I don't know, I think so, <laughs> I, I don't know, <laughs> there's, there's always, you know, Murphy's Law when you make films, and yeah. <laughs> and in any way, what's the cue? <laughs>